Everybody in your crew identifies as either Big Mac Burger, McNuggets, or McCrispy Sandwich. But you're the filet fish Sandwich all day. That crispy fish, that savory tartar sauce, that melty cheese, that pillowy bun. Yeah, you get it. Every time. And if you love the filet of fish right now you can catch two of the classics you love for just $6. Limited time only. Price and participation may vary. Cannot be combined with any other offer. Single item at regular price. Ba-da-ba-ba-ba. Welcome back to the Jet Press Podcast. My name is Justin Freed, and I'm joined, as always, by my man, Mike Luciano. Mike, what news is going to break this week? It seems like every week something happens. What's happening this week? Well, a couple weeks, our very first episode, actually, it was Mike LaFleur getting fired. It was Elijah Moore about 15 minutes after I called the wide receiver core, the Avengers. The Avengers disbanded, and Elijah Moore was traded to the Cleveland Browns. We'll see if something happens during the middle of this show. It seems like we have a pretty good track record of that, so... Thank you guys so much for the great response we had to the last video. It was our most popular episode by a pretty significant margin. Thank you guys so much for tuning into that. We've had new visitors from Italy, so somebody with a vowel on the end of my name is someone with a vowel at the end. I am very happy about that. Australia. And I'm, I'm going to put out a request. If you're the one person who downloaded our podcast in Botswana last week, we thank you so much. The fact that we have a podcast that is reaching that many corners of the globe. Just it means the world to us. So thank you guys so much. As always, you can find us on Apple Podcasts, Google Podcasts, Spotify, Overcast, wherever it is that you get your podcast. Make sure to subscribe to us over there. Also subscribe to us on YouTube at the Jet Press. Hit that little bell so you get notified whenever we go live for moments like this. But never mind that, Justin, because we got another pretty jam-packed show, even though there's no massive breaking news bomb allegedly yeah at this point yeah yeah not yet (laughs) (laughs) but uh we're still waiting on the big one maybe it'll happen during the show which is aaron Rodgers. aaron Rodgers officially is still a green bay packer now he wants to go to the jets the packers don't want him and the jets do want him so it still seems that like it's going to be a matter of when not if this goes down but the Jets got a couple very interesting, I would say, ticks in their favor or positive developments in their favor. The first being from uh, Charles Robinson, Yahoo Sports, reported that the trade is pretty much going to include two high draft picks, one of which is probably going to be a second-round pick and another that's a conditional pick that will likely turn into a first-round pick based on playing time. And now one of the holdups that I think is interesting from Charles is that he said the Jets are looking for 2024 compensation if Aaron Rodgers does not play in the 2024 season, which I don't know if they'll get that, but I don't think it's unfair to at least ask for that in a negotiation. I mean, Rodgers himself did say he was 90% retired when he went into that darkness retreat, and then apparently he got so ticked off by how they handled everything that out of spite he's coming to play for the New York Jets. Once you've thought about retirement that much, it's not going away. He might do this again next year. We have no idea of knowing that. So it's it's good for the Jets to ask for some sort of protection. I don't know if they're going to get it. But if that's what the holdup is really is over this one pick, I kind of get it. Yeah, I think thankfully we can finally put to bed 
any rumors that the Jets are going to trade the number 13 overall pick. And I think that's the most important thing that we could take away from Charles Robinson's report, from what Mike Florio said today on the Pat McAfee show, is that the Jets are not interested in trading away number 13. And the Packers have kindly finally gotten the memo, essentially, at this point. Um, because that was something that was holding up this trade for a while, is that the Packers kept pushing for pick 13. They wanted the Jets' first-round pick this year. Per that Charles Robinson report, the Packers don't want conditional conditions tied to any of these picks. That's they, they, they want just kind of straightforward, a pick this year, pick next year, whatever. The Jets understandably so want conditions, and we've talked about this on the show in the past. That makes sense, and as you just mentioned. Uh, and it's interesting to know that the Jets want a 2025 pick back, or at least a potential 2025 pick tied to if Aaron Rodgers plays in 2024. Um, but ultimately, this is just – its I feel like this is vindication for all the Jets fans who have been preaching for the longest time, like, oh, uh, you know, the Jets aren't going to give up 13. They're not going to give up a first-round pick. Meanwhile, you have all the, you know, the Packers fans on Twitter, the Packers reporters, analysts, whatever you want to call them, saying the same thing. This is vindication. The Jets aren't giving up pick 13, and ultimately, it's going to happen. Uh, it, it's, you know, at this stage, like it's just a matter of if not when, um, and on that note, actually, we'll bring up a, a chat here from Zachary best in chat. He said, why not trade for Lamar Jackson instead? Uh, Hall Wilson Jackson's a deadly trio for more than a year or two. I think the Jackson situation is very complicated. And I also think that if we could rewind to January and kind of take what we know now and rewind us to January, I think the jets and other teams would also be more interested, but the jets are so stuck in right now on Aaron Rodgers. They are so far down that rabbit hole that I don't think it's feasible in this, you know, in this scenario, they already have publicly said that they're not going to be going after Lamar Jackson. Uh, I don't think it's a feasible situation for them to, to make that move on top of the complications of, you know, obviously if they, if they want to offer him an offer sheet, the Ravens can always match, which is a, seemingly a large reason why teams haven't been been pursuing Lamar Jackson because uh, they just don't want to do the Ravens dirty work essentially now I know he has requested his trade but that trade request came in early March he just made this public now teams were aware of this I'm sure um, so it doesn't seem like that's impacted his market in any way they're the Jets are going to get Aaron Rodgers like it's it's pretty much it's not a done deal but it's it's going to happen there's only one logical outcome to this scenario we've been saying it for weeks it's Aaron Rodgers being traded to the Jets. The Jets know this. The Packers know this. Rodgers knows this. It's going to happen. I've seen people also say, well, this gives the Jets leverage because they go after Lamar Jackson. The L word. The I L really word. don't see any scenario where they get any benefit from that. Now, obviously, in a perfect world, if they didn't have this whole Aaron Rodgers thing, if he stayed retired, I think the Jets would be banging down Baltimore's door for Lamar Jackson because that would be that would make a ton of sense. But what what if something leaked that said, oh, the Jets are looking at Lamar Jackson? Don't you think Green would be like, really? You're looking at Lamar Jackson? Like, really? That's what I think Brian Gutekunst would end up doing. I think he basically calls bluff. I don't think the Packers would really be intimidated by that. I think that they are so far down the Aaron Rodgers hole that really any other option at this point is not really feasible. If this was maybe a month ago, completely different conversation. At this point, I feel like it's Rodgers or bust. Uh, the other piece of news I want to get to related to Aaron Rodgers came uh, just a couple hours ago on Pat McAfee, who appears to be the arbiter and the chief purveyor of all things Aaron Rodgers news. He seems to get not only from Aaron Rodgers himself, but people really seem to divulge all the Aaron Rodgers details on that show. So Mike Florio was on that show and he said, and this is even more vindication. So Peter Bukowski and all the other Packers writers out there that were demanding pick 13 can officially start weeping into their hands and, oh my goodness, just the complete desperation. Let the waterworks flow. 
because the Packers have, quote, backed off from wanting the number 13 pick in the 2023 draft, which is important because assuming that Aaron Rodgers is Aaron Rodgers, the Jets' first-round pick in 2024 is probably not going to be number 13 overall. It's probably going to be somewhere in the 20s. This is a gigantic development. It also ties into the Robinson report before, which was honestly not dissimilar to what we said on this show a couple times, which was you're probably going to get a second round pick, which the Jets now have two after the Elijah Moore deal and probably a conditional pick that if everything goes right and sunshine and rainbows and unicorns and ticker tape parade down Fifth Avenue and all that stuff, then the Packers could maybe get a first round pick in 2024. That's kind of what the market has been. And the Packers have finally, I think, come to their senses a little bit and realized that it's just not feasible to dig your heels in and go, we want a 2023 first-round pick. We want 13 overall. Because obviously it'll give them two top 15 picks. So the, the fantasy is dead. And I'm very happy about that because the Jets have enough needs where they can use that number 13 pick to either trade down, get some extra picks, or pick a guy who's going to be a long-term contributor. He's not going to Green Bay, though. Aaron Rodgers is coming. The first round pick is not going. That's a that's a win no matter what. Absolutely. And that's definitely the biggest takeaway, as well as like you mentioned, that Elijah Moore trade. And we we broke this down literally live last week on air. Like this, the Elijah Moore trade happened while we were recording. And my immediate takeaway was that they're getting that second round pick because they plan on trading away one of those second round picks and they want to keep one of them to either you know, you use it to take a player. They can use it to have extra flexibility if they want to trade up or trade down. Either way, they wanted to make sure that they had both pick 13 and a high second round pick. And that's what that Elijah Moore trade accomplishes. At this point, it's just a waiting game. Like I, I don't, I don't even want to talk about who has leverage. When is it going to happen? Because it's the same goddamn conversation every week. Like it is. I'm tired of it, honestly. Um, but it, it's. I think it's going to happen before the draft. Like I, I, I said this last week. I that is the next like deadline. I know you could say like, oh, April seventeenth, which is when team meetings start. I don't think Aaron Rodgers is going to show up for Packers meetings. I mean, he hasn't even shown up the last few years when he was going to be on the team. So I don't see him showing up now unless he just wants to be a complete jerk about it, which maybe who knows? Uh, He just wants to, you know, see chaos. Like, but I I just, I don't think he's going to show up for meetings. I just think the Packers are going to get this done before the draft because they want 23 to 2023 compensation for multiple reasons. Obviously one, because they assume you know, we assume, multiple people assume, the NFL assumes the Jets will be better in 2023 than they were in 2022. So you'd assume the picks will be higher. And on top of that, they just want an extra year of those assets because future assets are always worth less than what your current assets are worth um, or are valued at. So I, I think it gets done before the draft. I don't think the Jets give up 13. And really, we've just come full circle. Like, I, I think we've reached a full circle moment where if you asked me back in January what the Jets would trade for Aaron Rodgers, I would have said a 2023 second round pick and a conditional future first. And it seems like in the at the end of March, we're back at that. You know, there was uh, maybe they're going to give up pick 13. Maybe they won't even have to give up a second. I think we've reached that middle ground again. I think that that's what the trade compensation is going to be. And I think it gets done sometime within the next few weeks i hope so knowing us maybe it'll happen during a show like that obviously that's <laughs> what happen it. five minutes after we say oh there's no way it'll get done today and then it gets done immediately yeah. after knowing the, the kind of rotten luck we've had with timing on some of these but uh so jay romer 305 in chat on youtube says oh, the best chance to get compensation from him is when he won one of the back-to-back mvps and that brings into focus the idea that the jordan love pick kind of screwed the packers for a couple years now and honestly screwed them 
even more in this trade thing because Aaron Rod, they did not think Aaron Rodgers was going to win back-to-back MVPs. They thought he was on the decline. So because of that, not only did they get stuck by paying a first-round pick for three years who didn't play, but every single year they're like, all right, is this going to be the year we get rid of him? Is this going to be the year we get rid of him? And he didn't do it. But you always had in the back of your mind that now they have a succession plan. And because of that, it, it just at the worst pot, like they have to get rid of him now because it's a good incision point to where he's not an MVP guy anymore. So they can't use the excuse of we're holding on to an MVP guy, but also they're running out of time to see what Jordan love is. So now they have to trade a guy who still was 4,000 yards and close to 30 touchdowns with a team that was falling around, around him falling apart around him. Excuse me. And they're only going to get a second round pick and maybe a first round. That that's the Carson Wentz deal. Say this out loud. The Jets are going to acquire Aaron Rodgers for the same price that the Colts paid, essentially, to get Carson Wentz from the Eagles. Yeah. That's that's unheard of. That is absolutely unheard of. And I know that there's all sorts of consternation, and Jets fans and Packers fans both want to find the ideal package. Is there going to be more compensation in the future? Like The fact that you know that number 13 is not for sale, which would have been not a non-starter, but my number one on my shit list of things that, I did not want to see happen in this deal. That's not happening. And you're still going to end up getting him for a guy. What are you going to give up? Like a wide receiver three, basically, that's going to be acquired with that second round pick. And then maybe a first if everything goes perfectly, which the Jets are not going to care about if everything goes perfectly. We should be holding hands singing Kumbaya in, in Jets fandom right now. This is a great unifying moment for everybody. I'm glad you brought that up because I feel like that's one of the biggest misconceptions when it comes to trades in the NFL is that player value is only a part of it. And honestly, it you could argue it's a small part of, of what a team ends up getting in a deal. So much matters about contract, about circumstances. I think you see the circumstances specifically in this situation because the circumstances here are Aaron Rodgers says he wants to play for the Jets. The Jets do not have a good plan B. The Packers know they have to get rid of him. Those are very specific circumstances that neither team has, again, any of that that L word leverage. And that's Eileen on YouTube just said a very similar thing. She said, I don't think either team has the leverage, which you know we've been banging that, that drum for a while. Packers want to move on and will not want to pay him. And the Jets don't want Zach Wilson to be a starting quarterback. Both teams need the trade done. Go Jets. First of all, yes, absolutely go Jets. Second of all, yeah, you're, you're absolutely right. No, neither team has leverage. I've been saying that. Mike's been saying it. A lot of people have been saying it since like January. Neither team has any leverage here. There's only one outcome, and that outcome is going to be Aaron Rodgers trades to the Jets. I know people have been saying, like I saw, I think it was Seth Walder on, on Twitter, who that's the same guy who said the Elijah Vera Tucker trade up was terrible. Uh, he, said he said that. Was that the guy who said trade for, should the Jets trade for Aaron Rodgers or draft Will Levis? Yes, that was that guy. He, he oh, put a poll, no. He put, and this is what's crazy about it is the poll I thought was insane, right? And then I looked at the results and it was like 30%. So, so for those who don't know, Seth Walder put up a poll that said, if you're the Jets and the Rodgers trade is still not done by the draft, do and, and Will Levis from Kentucky is sitting there at pick 13. Do you just take Will Levis? And 30%, roughly 30%, the last time I checked, said yes, you take Will Levis. Not, not three point, not three point zero, <laughs> 30. 30. That's what I last time I checked. I was oh. like, that's ridiculous. 
ridiculous. So I, we don't need to even huh. go into why that's Bro- brought insane. to you by the community. You said the Jets should take Malik Willis instead of Brees Hall comes take yeah. Will Levis instead of Aaron Rodgers. It, it's crazy. And we don't even need to go into why that's stupid because obviously it's, I, it's we gladly could that. though. <laughs> that could be the rest of the show. That could be, that could be the rest of the show. <laughs> uh, it's a ridiculous notion. I think bottom line, the thing that, that matters most here is Aaron Rodgers going to be traded to the Jets? It's going to happen. I think it happens before the draft. Even if it doesn't, it's still going to happen. There's no reason to panic. The Jets aren't panicking. The Packers aren't panicking, even though the, the Jets, I believe part of that Florio report was that they said that they believe the Packers are being unreasonable and irrational, was their exact quotes. Uh, I, which, you know, I, if, the, if the Packers were asking for pick 13, I agree with that. But it's going to happen. They're going to find a middle ground. It's going to be, it's going to happen. Honestly, I want to talk about other stuff. <laughs> like, it's just, Let's it's talk just... about other stuff. Look, this Aaron Rodgers trade, I know it's a weird process because it it's like watching something happen in slow motion. It's like watching a Formula One race, all the thrill and excitement in slow motion at the end. You're like, can somebody please cross the finish line? I'm begging I, you. I pre-wrote an article to put up on the Jet Press weeks ago about him being traded, and it's never going to go up because it's so outdated now. But when it happens, it'll just be like, oh, it's finally over. Great. Like, it's not going to be like, wow, it happened. Like, it's going to be like, oh, thank God. It's, it's like, f- finally, Jesus. <laughs> yeah. Now, Aaron Rodgers might be coming, but some players might be leaving because they were considered cap casualties, at least by guys like me, guys like Justin, you faithful Jet Press listener at home or at work or wherever you may be catching this podcast out. But Robert Sala really kind of knocked my socks off at the owners' meetings because he said that Carl Lawson, who has been, I would say, he was an okay defensive end last year. I know he had injury problems, but considering all the other stuff around him, I thought he played fairly well, all things considered. And Corey Davis, who has been banged up again, he had some okay moments as the starting X receiver, but he appeared to be on his way out with Alan Lazard. And I feel like every Jets fan in their little offseason previews was uh, kind of assuming like, oh, yeah, once Corey Davis goes, then we can get X, Y, and Z. Robert Sala, on the other hand, said that he believes that Corey Davis is a guy that they might want to stick around for a little bit. Stick around on the roster. Who Right now, I think he'd probably be the wide receiver for, but Robert Sala said Corey Davis probably isn't going anywhere. Same with Carl Lawson, although he was much more vindictive, not vindictive, uh, Definitive. I would say uh, certain that Carl Lawson is going to stick around. He really loves Carl Lawson. Uh, both of these surprised me a little bit because I, I know that you're probably a little higher on Lawson than I am, but I thought that with the real uh, high level of talent available in the NFL draft at defensive end and defensive tackle, I thought there was enough there where they probably could have taken a Lawson replacement and kind of roll with maybe Jermaine Johnson, Bryce Huff, and John Franklin Myers as your edge rotation, even with Franklin Myers kind of moving in between inside and outside. I thought there was an, an avenue that makes sense to get rid of him here. Corey Davis is stunning to me, because especially with all the Odell Beckham links, because it seems almost not a foregone conclusion. I don't want to say that. I don't want to jinx anything. There's a lot of smoke connecting Odell Beckham to the New York Jets. Aaron Rodgers reportedly wanted him. The Jets... Are, had a big meeting with him at the owners' meeting, some of the top brass. I don't really buy Nicole Hardman or Alan Lazard as number two and number three. I think they're okay. I don't think they're necessarily elite or championship level at this point. Well, I want to turn this over to you, Justin, because I think that they're – I really don't see a path to Corey Davis contributing much in 2023, even though I feel like he got kind of a raw deal because he kept getting banged up and he had some of the worst quarterback play in the league. I'm really surprised that Salah came out 
like this. It might maybe it's a trade angling thing, like they want to flip them for something, but that's really the only way I can justify that. I think that that's exactly what it is. I would be surprised. And again, I said I'd be surprised if Elijah Moore was traded 10 minutes before he was traded. So don't listen to me. But I <laughs> would be surprised if Corey Davis was on the Jets roster come week one, 2023. I'd be surprised. I think he's on the roster right now because they are going to include him in an Aaron Rodgers deal. That is the only logical explanation that I could provide as to why he is still on the Jets roster. They already released Braxton Berrios. Corey Davis, you can cut him and, and take on less than a million in dead cap. They saved $10 million by doing it. That would double their current cap space. They are going to need to make other moves, and they are looking to make other moves, which we'll get into. They're going to need that cap space. And I think the only reason he's still on the roster is because he's going to be involved in that Rodgers trade. Like you mentioned, the fact that they're even interested in Odell Beckham in the first place, that should tell you everything you need to know about where Corey Davis is on this roster. Because if they bring in Beckham, Corey Davis is like wide receiver five. And you're not keeping a dude around at $11 million in 2023 to be your, your wide receiver five. Even if he's not, like that's so much money you're investing in your wide receiver room. You have Lazard who's making like $11 million a year. Hardman, I know is, is, his cap hit's pretty low, but he's still a quality NFL receiver. Odell Beckham would probably be making at least four to five million, you'd assume, right? And then Davis is, is making eleven million. That's a lot of money dedicated to your wide receiver room that honestly isn't even that great. Like it's a it's a really deep wide receiver room, but outside of Garrett Wilson, there's no sure thing like really good player, you know? Um, so I, I think that would be a mistake. I think it'd be a, a shocking development if Corey Davis was on the Jets roster. And I think it's important to note that Sala was he, he, he gave different words or he, he was very careful with his words when he talked about Corey Davis versus when he talked about Carl Lawson. When he said Carl Lawson, he's like, I, I can speak for Joe Douglas and saying that if he can walk or whatever he said, if he can walk, if he's breathing, he will be on the Jets roster in 2023. That's as definitive as you're going to get from any member of an organization. Like Carl Lawson is going to be on the Jets roster in 2023. I don't I don't think there's any you know question about that. But Corey Davis, he was like, I would like him to be on the roster. I definitely would like him to be on the roster for sure. I'd want him to be here. He didn't say he will be here. He said he wants him to be here. Very different. I don't think the Jets are going to keep Corey Davis. As for Carl Lawson, I do understand why the Jets would want to keep him around. His cap hit is very high, obviously. And there's a lot of flexibility in this contract because you can basically cut him and save $15 million. Like that's, that's essentially what you're working with here. That being said, the Jets are very optimistic that a year, another year removed from his torn Achilles, he's going to be the player that he was when they first signed him. Because I don't know if you remember that first summer when the, when the Jets initially signed Corey, or Corey Davis, Carl Lawson, he was he was tearing it up. Like he was, I was so excited for him. One because he was one of the guys I wanted the most in free agency. I love Carl Lawson in Cincinnati. I really wanted him on the Jets, and when they got him, I was ecstatic. And uh, obviously, unfortunately, he, he tore his Achilles. Um, it's, it's easy to forget. Like Corey, or so there was a report. I think it was Connor Hughes said it uh, back in January that Carl Lawson had a setback in his in his rehab. He wasn't even running until like a few weeks before training camp, and yet he still played all 17 games. So it's no surprise that he was a step slow. That he was, you know, he clearly wasn't the player he was before the injury. I think the Jets are really optimistic and hopeful that another year removed from that injury, he's going to be a great player because. I like the current edge rush group they have. There's a lot of talent there. They're very deep. John Franklin Myers, Jermaine Johnson. I'd like to see him take on a bigger role. Obviously, Bryce Huff is great. Michael Clemens. There's a lot of talent there. But if Carl Lawson can be the star that he was when the Jets signed him, that's massive. That is a massive difference maker. And I really think the Jets are hoping that. On that note as well, there are still ways they can lower his cap hit. I don't know if, if releasing him and signing him back at a smaller deal is on the table anymore, but that's something they can do. Another option that we've talked about is they could extend him. 
Like they could, uh, they could absolutely extend Carl Lawson, which would absolutely lower his 2023 cap hit. Uh, obviously, when you do that, you're now committing more money to him in the future. So you really better hope that one, he stays healthy because another another major injury for him would be devastating because he's already had what two or three. He, he tore his ACL twice, was it? Right, and I think he got banged up in Auburn a little bit too. Yeah, so he's he tore history. his ACL in Auburn, and he tore it with the Bengals. And now he's torn his Achilles. So another major injury, like you know that, that that's devastating for him. So you're on really, top of the fact, you're basically also locking yourself into Jermaine Johnson and Carl Lawson as your starting edges for the next couple of years. Right, and you still have John Franklin Myers around. Obviously, I think they can get out of his contract after this year, but he's he's still there. Obviously, you could also play him in the interior, but that's that's what it is with Carl Lawson. I'm not surprised they're bringing him back. I think they should still try and lower his cap hit, but it's tough. Like if they don't want to extend him, they don't want to commit more money to the future. It's going to be tough, but yeah, that's, that's kind of where I stand on that. I'm not surprised and I'm not upset that Carl Lawson's coming back. I would be very surprised and very confused if Corey Davis was back. Now here's the optimist pitch for Corey Davis, because I'm almost going to rule out the 2020 season. That was the no fans COVID year. And that was also his contract year where he had 984 yards in 14 games, which he's not that type of receiver where he's going to get like 1,200 yards a year. Here's an interesting stat that I found, though. In his career with the Titans in four years, when he was he was with Tennessee, for those who don't know, Tennessee Titans are four years before he can't, comes to the Jets on a big three-year deal. He averaged 50.9 yards per game, and that was with the crazy season right before he got paid. With the Jets, he's at 46.7 with Zach Wilson, with Mike White, with Joe Flacco, with all of that. Like, I don't think he's totally useless. And I think if they want to throw him into a Packers trade, I think that there's some, they could maybe get something back for him because he's still a strong blocker. I still like his ability in contested catches. No, he had some weird drops issue, but I really don't think that's emblematic of the player he is just in a vacuum. And for a team that lost Alan Lazard, I think Lazard's kind of an upgrade over Corey Davis in terms of what he brings. If the Packers want a receiver like that and they don't want to use a draft pick on him, they could get a veteran like Corey Davis, who could also help a young receiver room. Christian Watson, Romeo Dobbs, they got some young pieces there. That makes sense to me. Yeah, I, I think Corey Davis ran into some really bad luck with the Jets. I, I think the last couple of years that he's been in New York, he's he's had the injury trouble, which he didn't really have a ton of injury trouble in Tennessee. I know he did earlier in his career, but it wasn't a big thing. And then the drops also weren't, after his rookie year, were not really an issue in Tennessee. And then just all of a sudden, like he just got hit with that with the Jets. So I, I don't know what has happened the last couple of years with him, but it's not the player that I saw in Tennessee. And I don't think it's the player he is. I, I agree with you. The issue, and I think it just comes back to what we talked about before, is that when it comes to trades, player value is not necessarily determined by how good the player is. I think Corey Davis is a quality NFL receiver, a high-end wide receiver three, a low-end wide receiver two. I think that that's really his niche. Um, and I think that's uh, he'd be a really good player for the Packers to acquire. I don't think he holds much trade value, though, because I think the Packers are well aware that he's likely – I mean, again, the Jets are saying they might keep him, whatever. That's kind of the indication. I don't think – I think that's bluffing. I don't think they're actually going to keep him. Uh, I think it's very likely that they would release him if he wasn't going to be involved in a Corey Davis or in, a, in Aaron Rodgers trade. But I, I do like Corey Davis. I think he's a quality player. You know, I, I want to really quick uh, from Franco and Chatty on YouTube. He mentioned uh, about Carl Lawson. He said, "What's your thoughts about the Jets uh, being high on Carl Lawson because they feel Bryce Huff maybe picked up for a second by another team?" So that's referring to the fact that the Jets placed the second round uh, RFA tender on Bryce Huff. I don't think that's going to happen. If some team did give up a two for Bryce Huff, 
I mean, look, I love Bryce Huff, but I, I, <laughs> but see you later, man. Yeah, I love Bryce <laughs> Huff. I really do. I think he's the, I genuinely think he's the best pass rusher on the, like edge rusher uh, on the team right now in terms of his pass rushing ability. Um, but yeah, I'm, I'm fine with that. I'm fine with letting him walk for a two. Like I'm totally fine with that. Um, I don't think that's going to happen. I don't think any team is going to give up a two for him. Um, but it does say a lot that the Jets were going to pit or were, uh, willing to give him that second round tender because they think very highly of him. They, they really like him. Obviously, I think he should have a bigger role this year. I don't understand what the Jets' issue with him on, on rundowns is. I know he's not the strongest run blocker, but when you're only playing a dude on third downs and he's getting 10 to 15, like 10 to 12 snaps a game, that's a crime because he was your best pass rusher on the edge last year. Um, but yes, yeah, so I, I don't think that that's necessarily why it is. I think they just love Carl Lawson as, as, a, as a player, and I think they love him as a person too. Like That, that locker room stuff matters. They, Robert Saul is all about – uh, culture. He's all about just trying to get the right guys in that locker room. They love who Carl Lawson is as a person, and I think that's a big reason why they want to keep him too. I do want to stamp this podcast as the official uh, Bryce Huff podcast because I can remember uh, when I was covering the Shrine Bowl in 2020. Now the Shrine Bowl can be a little can lie to you sometimes because James Morgan was out there throwing dimes and. We all know what happened to James hey, Morgan. We'll always, we'll always have that Hail Mary to Kenny Yaboa in the preseason. Yeah, we'll yes, we will. And then, and then he went on and has been starting for 10, for 10 years and has a Hall of Fame trajectory. Yeah. But, right. What else happened? Yeah. But <laughs> I believe he's in the USFL now, which is the inferior of the two spring football leagues. Ooh, but, you're going to piss some people off with that comment. I, I've seen both. I think the XFL is a better product. But anyway, uh, <laughs> going to both, uh, going back to the Shrine Bowl, I can remember specifically that Huff and Alex Highsmith, who got picked really high by the Steelers, I believe like the end of the third round, were just blowing people up the entire week. I'm like, okay, this dude is different. So I've been a Bryce Huff guy for a while. Now, and I say that to preface it with, if somebody says we'll give you a second round pick, maybe even like a top 50-something pick for Bryce Huff, go and enjoy Washington or wherever it is. We will happily, happily take that and have three second round picks. I love you, Bryce, but come on here. <laughs> but uh, I want to pivot a little bit because we were talking about some defensive linemen. The Jets Jets Nation kind of got in a little bit of a tizzy because we heard rumors that Calais Campbell was potentially considering coming to the New York Jets. And Calais Campbell, if he came here, would have been freaking perfect for this team. Plays both inside and outside. Big, giant guy. Still productive amazing locker room presence, great human being, Calais Campbell, with all the community outreach stuff he's done. Could not have picked a better one. And then we get a news bomb before the show that he has signed a deal with the Atlanta Falcons, which is a bit surprising because both Buffalo and the Jets were in on him, and you'd think both Buffalo and the Jets are a little closer to contending for a championship than Atlanta. But he really liked what he's had to say about Arthur Blank, and he felt some sort of connection, and then off to Atlanta goes Calais Campbell. I say all that to say that the Jets need another defensive lineman. They lost Sheldon Rankins. They lost Nathan Shepard. They need somebody next to Quentin Williams. As great as he is, he's one guy. Can't have a defensive line with one guy and maybe a half with Jermaine Johnson and Lawson combined, maybe two then. Can't have two guys on a whole defensive line. So there are some free agents out there that are not going to break the bank. And that can be quality players. And uh, one guy I want to bring up, I know that me and Justin are both very high on this guy, is uh, Matt Ioannidis, who is from Marlton and went to 100 and Central, so a local guy. Born in Madison, uh, Marlton actually. I thought he was born in Madison. Whoopsie daisy. But he spent the last uh, 
six of his seven years in the NFL with the Washington team that I'm not going to say, which later became the football team and then commanders. And then he spent last year as a starter with the Carolina Panthers. And in the last couple of years, he's kind of taken on more of a run stuffer role, which is not necessarily something that he's bad at. He's a big, strong, giant dude, eats up space, but can also move well. People forget Matt Ioannidis in a three-year stretch early in his career with Washington had 21 sacks in three years. So this is a dude who can really make some noise on the interior, and he's not going to get one double team all season long because he's next to Quinn and Williams. If he's available, I think he might be perfect for the Jets. I, I think the Matt Ioannidis signing would be so similar to the Sheldon Rankin signing from a few years mm-hmm. ago, right? I, I think he's a little older, obviously, than Rankin's was, but very similar type players. I, I think both are our best as just interior disruptors, more three techs who are just very athletic, un, underrated as well, unheralded. I, I don't think people talk about Matt Ioannidis as much as they should. Like you mentioned, he had a couple seasons where he had back-to-back years with seven and a half and eight and a half sacks. The dude, he was a really good pass rusher uh, when he was with Washington. Um, and the other thing, the other part about that that makes me think of Rankins is that, that Rankins had some injury troubles in New Orleans before he came to the Jets. And Ioannidis has had that as well. He only played three games in 2020. He missed a few games this past year. I don't think because of that reason, it'll cost that much to get him. I think they could even get him for less than they got Rankins a few years ago. Uh, he's probably my top pick right now. Like you mentioned, I believe North Jersey, right? Is that he's from North Jersey? Yeah, my, he's a total North Jersey guy. Okay. Now, I'm, Jersey, I'm concerned because he might be a Taylor Ham guy and not a pork roll guy. So that's a big red flag you got to consider. Dude, my, my, I, that didn't even make sense to me. I, I, my Jersey knowledge is – Oh, Long you're Island. that far behind on your – oh, my God. I'm from Long Island, man. Jersey is another land. That is another uh, – well, right, I know. So, that's I'm going to do, we got a lot of New Jersey listeners, so I'm going to just do the Cliff Notes version. There's a pressed ham pork sandwich disc thing, sure. for lack of a better word. And it's basically the difference between if you call it like a bandage or a band aid, the brand name versus what it uh, is. Okay. It's a pork roll, but the brand name is Taylor Ham. And North, North Jersey's a Taylor Ham thing, Central and South, it's pork roll. Are you, are you, are you, what are you, Central? I'm a, I'm a pork roll guy. If it's Taylor Ham, that is sacrilege. Okay. So Matt Ioannidis, if you just come in and say it's pork roll, I will immediately say extend you for three more years at $40 million, and you're going to be a, a core jet for a long time. I'd love it. I, he's a local guy. As a side note, I've heard people say Central Jersey doesn't exist. Do you abide by that? Those are they're, they're dirty liars who are not okay. to be trusted. <laughs> I've just heard that. I have zero take on it. My only take is that anything north of Westchester is upstate. Right. That's my only take. Let me inform you. There's a Central Jersey. <laughs> Fair. Um, but yeah, I, I would love Matt Ioannidis. I think that's my top pick. There's a few other guys. I think like as much as I would have loved Calais Campbell, he was clearly my favorite option. I think we talked about this last week. He was my top priority for the Jets. I, that was the guy I wanted more so than Odell Beckham, more so than Ben Jones. I wanted Calais Campbell. Um, but I still think even though they've missed on him, there's a few good options. Like even aside from Matt Ioannidis, you have Puna Ford, who was a loved Puna Ford coming out of college. He was so much fun watching at Texas. Uh, I'm glad he's been able to carve out a, a starting role in the NFL. Uh, you know, a veteran like Shelby Harris is around. If you want to go more of like a, a run stopper, like nose tackle type, Ashawn Robinson is a really good run stopper. Uh, Al Woods was was released, I believe. He's out there. Uh, you, then you have guys like like Akeem Hicks, who is you know, I don't, I wouldn't want Akeem Hicks playing more than forty, you know, forty percent of snaps at this stage. He's fine, but I Two don't. Years ago would have been a totally different conversation. I, I don't think he has as much left in the tank as someone like Campbell did. Uh, and then there's also like Michael Brockers. I feel like Michael Brockers is more just a name at this point. I, I, from what I've seen, I don't think he's nearly as good as he used to be. 
I wouldn't be super on board with that. But I, I think Ioannidis makes a lot of sense. I'd love Puna Ford. I think he also, despite his reputation coming out of Texas being like, oh, he's just an undersized nose tackle. I think he's been a good pass rusher with, with Seattle. I think he's an underrated pass rusher. He's a pretty athletic guy, um, especially for his size. He's like, I think he's, is he like 5'11", 3'10". He's if so that, and then 3'10". <laughs> yeah, he's got such a, he's a weird, such a weird body type. But I think he'd well, be That's a good why he fan. went undrafted, because his tape was certainly draftable. Yes. It was all exactly. physical. Exactly. And then someone like Shelby Harris, I think, also makes sense. So there's there's a few options. Then they can even look to the draft, of course, as guys like Kalijah Kansi, who we've talked about. Uh, there's, there, I mean, Jalen Carter, if he falls, right? Um, so that would be amazing if he fell to 13. Um, but I, I think there are still options. Realistically, the Jets need two defensive tackles. Because right now you have Quentin Williams and Solomon Thomas. That's it. Unless they are really planning to play John Franklin Myers much more on the interior they need two guys. Like they need a starter alongside Quentin Williams. Hopefully they add that guy in free agency. And then they need somebody in the draft, likely like a day two or three pick. That's what my ideal plan would be for defensive tackle. I mean, they could start John Franklin Myers on the interior and I'd still think they need somebody else. Because yeah. also you got to consider, I know this Quentin Williams doesn't like this. The Jets are a team that rotate defensive linemen in and out as much or more than anybody else. Yep. I know that that's been a source of consternation with Quentin liking a bunch of tweets saying, why don't the Jets play him more snaps? Like, I get it. I know that I get the reasoning, but I personally like to see Quinn out there a little bit more. But it doesn't seem like they're really gonna they're gonna bend on that. So you need multiple guys. Maybe one younger guy, one older guy, kind of get that yin yang dynamic. You need to do something. Now, I know that they mentioned looking after Ben Jones. Ben Jones is would be a fantastic center. I still think the defensive line should take priority in free agency. Assuming, let's just say hypothetically, Odell's coming. So then wide receiver room is more than taken care of. I would be more, I'd be more okay, I think, with getting a younger center in the draft. We've mentioned guys like John Michael Schmitz, Joe Tipman, Steve Avila as a guard, but I think he might be able to move into center. There's guys out there. Defensive line, I know it's pretty deep. We were saying earlier there's a lot of really good interior guys, especially on day two. I think that even if you get them, though, that's not going to solve the problem totally. If you get one young center, that could fix the problem. Now, one, one name I'm a little skeptical of because I've seen him connected is Quinn Jefferson. Quinn Jefferson was in Seattle uh, last year alongside Puna Ford. He's kind of bounced around a little bit. Raiders, Bills, he was with Seattle before last year even kind of came back. I think he's more of just a – I think he's a good pass rusher, but he's kind of got Jerry Tillery syndrome where he can get to the quarterback a little bit, and then when you need him to really kind of knuckle up and stop the run, he can get washed out of a lot of plays. And he's getting older. So I would look for versatility, obviously, is important, but also run stuffing. That's got to be the number one trait you look for. That's why I think Ionitis makes so much sense. I agree. And I, I think Quinn Jefferson makes more sense as like a post draft signing if they draft somebody, say they draft someone at 13. Like say they draft, say Jalen Carter falls to 13, right? Because I, because Kalaja Kansi, I, I feel like he fits more of the pass rusher profile than the run. Not that he's a bad run stopper, but he's just, he's smaller, right? He's undersized. Um, but I, I think, say, if Jalen Carter falls to 13, then you could sign Quentin Jefferson, and boom, now you got – I mean, <laughs> I don't want to dream here, but you got Quentin Williams, Jalen Carter, Solomon Thomas, Quentin Jefferson. That's a really good defensive tackle room. That's not going to happen, but that's a really good defensive tackle room. Um, Someone might need to – like maybe if one of those Laramie Tunsil videos comes out during the draft and Jalen <laughs> Carter keeps falling. Yeah, there's already been stuff coming out. Like that's the only reason I mention it. If you said it like a month and a half ago, I would have been like, there's no way he gets out of the top seven, right? But now it seems like – Maybe he could it as pro day and the drag racing thing. I yeah, mean, like, I don't want to make like there's concerns about Jalen Carter, but like, right. 
if they find some way to like, if those concerns are sort of uh, like invalidated, I think, or they don't really hold up or like he's cleared of things and they find other boxes they check and he is there at 13, you sprint to the podium. You don't even let Goodell announce the pick. Joe Douglas announces the pick. That's how, that's how aggressively you have to go after a guy like that. I think those concerns are so serious that the first 12 teams should all pass on them. That's how I feel. Oh, totally. Yeah. yeah, yeah. (laughs) Um, If they pass on them though, and new England gets them. Oh no. Don't no. Then it's like Warren's. I don't want to think of Warren Sapp stuff. I don't want about that. I mean, I wasn't alive for it, but I don't want to think about that. Was, um, was that the Kyle Brady year? That was the Kyle Brady year. Yeah, that was the they passed the Warren Sapp who fell to them, and then Kyle Brady. Yeah, they took Kyle Brady. Anyway, that's we don't got we don't got to harp on that. We don't want to make this negative. Uh, real real quick about Ben Jones. I think I forget if I mentioned this on the podcast last week, um, but I, I feel like that signing is more likely to happen closer to the draft, if not after the draft. I think. There's a real chance, and fans will flip out about it, but there's a real chance the Jets go into the draft with Wes Schweitzer as their center. Like, I, I think that there's a real chance that that happens. And I think they would do that because they would be planning on drafting someone. And if they don't, hopefully they could sign Ben Jones after the draft. I don't know. I don't, again, I, I've been wrong many times. I was wrong a week ago about Elijah Moore. I, I don't get the sense that the Ben Jones signing is going to happen for anybody, for any team, anytime soon. I think he's taking his time. One, I think he's seeing if he wants to play because there was some stuff about him potentially retiring. I know he had the concussions last year. That's not even a guarantee. So I feel like he might want to wait until until after. And Brian brings up a good point in chat too. He said uh, older players tend to not want to go to mandatory minicamp and may sign after it ends to avoid it. Absolutely. That's totally something he could do. We saw it a few years ago not to bring up you know, bad memories with Ryan Khalil. The Jets signed their starting center. You told me not to make it negative and you go, hey, let's talk about Ryan Khalil. <laughs> uh, let's ignore how bad Khalil was. It's a <laughs> very similar situation where the Jets end up adding their starting center well after the draft. I think we could see something like that with Ben Jones. Hopefully, if that does happen, he is he is better than Ryan Khalil was with the Jets. Uh, but it's I, not I, hard to do. I, I obviously Jets fans will flip out about that. They'll be losing their minds, much like they were then. I, well, it wasn't Jonathan Harrison the projected starting center before they added Ryan Khalil? I believe he was, and then oh, finally we get a right. Pro Bowler, and then and everyone was so oh, dude, I was so hyped. I remember I was so excited. I was like, they they, they added they added Ryan. I've never seen great. both because yet I think Matt Khalil, the brother, like both of them fell off shockingly they quickly. They did, yeah. Ryan Khalil was was really good the last time he had played before he came to the Jets, and then just just down but yeah I, I think like a been. pro bowler as a rookie too and then i think he kind of didn't he have yeah i think he was and then he just kind of fell off like really quickly after that yeah like but yeah i think value. i think with ben jones you might see something like that because the jets clearly love john michael schmitz they've met him like every they've been like four different times at this point they met him at the at the senior bowl they met him at the combine they met him as pro day they they had a top 30 visit with him they are visiting him as much as they can it's very clear that they want him if they do want him I don't know if he falls in the second round. I, I I think that they might have to either move up or maybe they can move back. Yeah, we could talk about that a little bit. What should the Jets do at 13? I think one scenario, I know you talked about a little on the show that you might, you would even consider John Michael Schmitz at 13. I don't Absolutely. know. Absolutely. I don't know if I would do that. I think it makes more sense to trade down unless the Jets have some kind of intel that someone's picking him in like the top 20. I think the Jets can move down to like 21, 22 and, and still get him. I, I, I really do. My biggest concern, I obviously on top top of the fact I like Schmidt as a prospect, Seattle needs a center and they have two picks in between 13 and when the Jets pick next. So you really got to consider that. And let's the the thing I've been struggling with and why I really kind of started getting turned on to Schmidt that don't 
R- wrong choice of words getting turned yeah, on. You're good, you're you know good. what? You had no, screw it. That's, <laughs> when Schmitz turned me on, the main reason was because a lot of the other players that have been mocked to the Jets don't really seem like guys that can make as much of an immediate splash. I know you draft for the future and all that, but I do want somebody that can be productive in 2023. If they get an offensive tackle like a Paris Johnson, then you got three tackles competing for two spots. It seems like with Elijah Vera Tucker coming back and Lincoln Tomlinson hopefully bouncing back, they got guards kind of taken care of. So Osiris Torrance or even like a Pierre Skaronsky don't really have as much value in that area. There's a safety at 13 they could take, like Brian Branch, but the more I look at him, I know I love him as a player, and I think he'd be a good pick for the Jets. I don't see him as a prototypical like guy. Like He could handle deep zone work for the most part, like traditional free safety work. I don't know if that's where his talents are best utilized. So I don't know if that's the best use of 13. Wide receiver, obviously taken care of. Defensive line, sure. Like an interior defensive lineman I could definitely see, but this is also a draft where you could get a couple guys a little bit later. So I don't know if 13 might be the spot for that. Really the the best confluence of great player, fills a need, and can produce immediately. That triad all meeting at once might be John Michael Schmitz. That's why I'm so high on him. I get that. And I, I, I do understand what you're saying. I, I think if the Jets were to do that and say, um, you know, because let's assume one of the top tackles is still on the board, one of the top three tackles, whether it's Roderick Jones, whether it's Paris Johnson, uh, Peter Skronsky, I almost mixed him up with the Packers guy. I almost did in my head. Uh, <laughs> Peter Bukowski, I was really close. Um, I'm not trading you 13. We're going to pick you 13. <laughs> I got to get off Twitter. Uh, but, um, but yeah, if, if, one of the, if one of those tackles are still on the board, and they pass on them and draft John Michael Schmitz. Like, I love John Michael Schmitz. But that would be putting a lot of faith in Mekhi Becton staying healthy. That's that's what they'd be doing. because And not only Mekhi Becton, because this isn't just a Mekhi Becton. In Dwayne Brown staying healthy, in Max Mitchell being there and staying healthy, because all three of those guys dealt with injuries last year. Brown had surgery in the offseason. Becton, obviously, we know his injury concerns. That's a lot to to put on that tackle room. I really think you need to add someone, and I'd, I'd want them to do it early. Uh, and I, I could do it like in the second round, but I, I would I would want them to do it early. I don't necessarily think Dwayne Brown needs to be locked into a starting spot. I don't necessarily think Mackay Becton needs to be locked into a starting spot. Although if he's healthy, I would absolutely love him to be a starter. And I think it would surprise me if he was healthy and he didn't start unless he was just straight up bad. Like I, and I don't, I don't know if I see that happening, but I, I think the jets just, they need to solidify that tackle room more than it is. Even if that guy isn't necessarily guaranteed to start from day one, but look, if they draft John Michael Smith at 13, I'll be happy. I think he's a great player. I think he's a great prospect. I would just have some questions about what they're planning to do at tackle. I'm with you on Brian Branch, though. And I've talked about that in the past, that I don't – I love him as a player. I don't think he fits what the Jets need right now, unless they're just trying to stack up on guys who can just play nickel, you know, nickel, strong safety hybrids. Like, and I don't think they should do that. Now, I know that I don't want to take necessarily everything Robert Solomon and the Jets say at face value, but it seems like they love Dwayne Brown. Like, almost an inordinate amount, they love Dwayne Brown. And I don't think they'd go through all this, you know, hubbub and hullabaloo and all this stuff for Dwayne Brown just to have him be like a backup and a veteran mentor kind of guy. I think Dwayne Brown is a fierce competitor and he wants to play. And I honestly think, I don't, I'm not saying he was what he was in his prime with the Texans or the Seahawks, but I thought for the most part, I think he held his own, which for a guy his age is extremely impressive. Now, yeah. obviously, and, and on, t- on that, he played the entire year with a torn rotator cuff, too. Exactly. Like, so, if you're getting healthy, know. Dwayne Brown, who knows? I will say really quick, though, I'll push back because the Jets did try and sign Orlando Brown. 
right? And I know it's Orlando Brown is different than drafting somebody, right? Orlando Brown is a is a was the top tackle in a free agent market, but the fact that they considered him, right? He would he would be the left tackle if they brought in Orlando Brown. He's playing left tackle. It's not Dwayne Brown, and so I think that they're open to potentially replacing him or at least bringing in competition. Right, but I think it's that thing of well, Orlando Brown's available. We'll go and get him. Like it's yeah. a thing where I know like very few top level you know, like quarterbacks or running backs are available. So typically I know Lamar Jackson is an extreme situation because of all the other swirling factors around him. But typically a lot of guys, even if they have quarterbacks, they're fine with, will say, you know what, if we can get X, we'll change things. I think that's what it kind of was with Orlando Brown. Like we're fine with our tackles, but if the best guy available falls in our lap, who are we to say no? I also think they really do like Mekhi Beck. I know it's a, I know he's played one game in two years, and I wouldn't have a ton of faith in him. I honestly, if I thought that they were a little uh, not as certain with Becton, and then I would be happy with a tackle at 13 because then that's at least just, you know what? We got the Becton pick wrong, move off, and then we'll start with the new guy. It doesn't seem like they want to do that, though. So I don't want to operate as if they're just going to get rid of Makai Becton. So if that's what they're going with and they really believe in the guy that much, you're essentially drafting a backup tackle with a pick that could be used. I mean, the Jets are allegedly going to be contenders with Aaron Rodgers. Very few contenders have number 13 overall in the draft. That's a real weapon they can use and a real asset to add a guy who can contribute both now and later. And if you take a guy who's going to probably back up Becton or Brown, the value just gets diminished. I, I, I agree. I, I get what you're saying to an extent. I We'll see, I guess, as it gets closer. Like, I think it's still a little too early to say the Jets are definitely going to address this. I think they definitely want to add to their offensive tackle room. Uh, But one room they definitely need to add to, which we already talked about, is defensive tackle. And I think both of us, for our our weekly draft spotlight, which we usually do towards the end. Sound the the trumpets. Yeah, yeah, yeah. (laughs) I I think we both picked defensive tackles, which is fair. After the Calais Campbell news came out, I, I guess I'll go first here, right? I, I guess after the Calais Campbell news came out, I was like, you know, for, for this week's weekly draft spotlight, I want to I want to focus on a defensive tackle. And, I, and my favorite is still, I think, Keanu Benton. I talked about him a decent amount. I love Keanu Benton, um, but I, I don't want to talk about him again. We already we talked about Kalaja Kansi. So I was looking at more fringe day two, day three guys. And the guy that caught my eye that I'm like, I think Robert Sala is going to fall in love with this dude is Jalen Redman out of Oklahoma. I, I think he is exactly what Robert Sala and the Jets look for in their defensive tackles. He fits the exact physical profile that they're looking for. He's a little undersized at 6'2", 291. That's what he weighed in at the combine. Honestly, I think he was even lighter at Oklahoma. I don't think he weighed as much as 291. He didn't look it. Uh, but no, the dude, no way he was 291. That, that's like Bryce Young is 6'1", level lie. He was 291 at the combine, and I don't believe that, but that's, no. that's, what, that's what it he, says. He was bulking. Yeah, I don't think he was 291, but that's that's what he weighed in at. I don't think he plays at 291. Either way, dude plays with a red-hot motor. Like, he is always, always moving a super explosive first step and a, a really good blend of athleticism and power despite his lack of size. Also a pretty versatile dude. Like, they lined him up everywhere from over center to legit as like a five-tech at edge rusher. Uh, I, I think he'd just be a great fit in Salah's attacking 4-3 defense. That explosive first step and his hot motor is, is why – uh, I think he's just a great fit in that defense because Salah wants players to attack up the field with everything they got. Like he just wants dudes who are constantly moving, constantly attacking up the field. 
that's what that's what Jalen Redmond does. And I think that that fits Salah's defense to a T. Now, he never quite became like the dominant player he was at Oklahoma or he was expected to be. He's a former five-star recruit. He also turns – he also I think he already turned 24 this month, uh, and he was arrested for a DUI in 2020. But I should mention – that didn't stop them from, from drafting Michael Clemens last year, who is another older prospect who had off-field issues, and he had a pretty good rookie year. Uh, honestly, I, I see a lot of similarities between Redmond and Clemens, too. Like, I think they're both older prospects, but I think there's a lot of untapped potential with uh, with both of them. So I'm fine if they want to add Redmond, like Redmond early on day three, maybe like fourth round, something like that. Pair him with maybe a more typical run stopper in free agency. I think you got a complete defensive tackle room. You have who maybe you add Matt Ioannidis, maybe you add I don't think they do it, but maybe you add like someone like Ashawn Robinson, who is a genuinely really good run defender. Pair him with Quinn and Williams. You have Solomon Thomas coming off the bench. You have Jalen Redmond coming off the bench. I think it's a really good defensive tackle room. And I just watching Redmond's tape is it just it screams someone that Robert Sala would fall in love with. I like the fear factor with Clemens and Ashawn Robinson yeah. and Redmond all along. We're just gonna intimidate you and physically scare you. I kind of like the idea. Now, I agree with you, too. Redmond's a little little light in the pants for a defensive tackle, especially if they don't get a run stuffer. I think that might make the Redmond pick harder to sell. But he's a great interior pass rusher, just like the guy that I have highlighted, Tuli Tui Pelotu. I hope I'm pronouncing that right. Sounds right. From, U- from USC, listed at 6'4", 290. They actually used him mostly as like a traditional defensive end a lot. He's probably going to kick it inside at the next level. He's not an amazing run defender at this point, but I really do think that he's got some potential there. I've seen a couple reps in a couple different games. Like I remember the Notre Dame game in particular. There was a lot of good space eating that he had going on. UCLA, he played all right as a run stuffer. The big thing is the pass rush potential. 13 and a half sacks during his last year at USC, which for anybody weighing 290 pounds, I know that everybody could take advantage of different schematic you know tendencies and move you guys around 13 and a half sacks when everybody knows you're the best player on the defensive line is insane and that's going to be enough to make him a top 50 guy honestly might like him as much as maybe even a little more than a guy like a Kalijah Cansey wow because Kalijah Cansey I know that everybody's like oh he comes from Pitt Aaron Donald and he's got the same you know he's undersized but they both were athletic freaks it's like well like Aaron Donald still is an outlier like there's Aaron Donald, and then there might be there might be like one other one. Nothing comes to my top of my head, but most great defensive tackles are not 280 pounds unless you're just have two percent body fat and you're built like Adonis. That that doesn't happen. So I'm a little skeptical of Cansey. I think Tui Pelota might be a little safer in that regard. At the same time, he's not the some of the pass rushing stats are a little little screwy because he had 13 and a half sacks, but two of them were Fresno State. Three of them were Washington State. Two of them were Cal, who was awful. And two and a half of them were Colorado, who was awful. Notre Dame, just the one sack. UCLA, nothing. Utah, twice, nothing. So a lot of his sack production came against guys that are either going to be graduate assistants on the next football team, or maybe they're going to be selling cars or selling insurance door to door. Maybe they do Amway, Herbalife stuff. Not NFL linemen. And when he played NFL lineman, there was a noticeable drop in production, especially against Jared Patterson, who I thought played very well against him in that Notre Dame game. So you have to kind of weigh that in there, but I think it's very rare for a guy with a combination of versatility, run-stuffing potential, and still explosion for a guy like Tui Pelotu to be available in the second round. So if he's there in the mid-40s, 
you go snatch him up. I, I really like his upside too. Cause like he's I, before we, we talked about him very briefly before the show. And I, I looked up how old he was. He turns 21 in September. He's 20 right now. He doesn't turn 21 until right before the season begins. Get our own this Tremaine week. Edmonds. Yeah, exactly. Or Daniel Hunter. Like, do the same same back and forth. Um, but yeah, he's got a lot of upside, and I think he's a really good target there on day two. The Jets are going to have to add defensive tackle. It's very likely to come, even if they sign someone for agency, very likely to come in the draft. If they don't do it on day one, both of the guys we just mentioned make a lot of sense. But yeah, man, that's it. Hey, we just got through an entire show, knock on wood, and nothing, no news broke. Right? Let me check my phone. Nope. Nothing broke. That's cool. All right, now when we're editing the audio, oh god, it's gonna happen after. And I, I don't want to jinx anything, but uh, that happened it. with Mike Lafleur. Anything's possible. That's true. I jinxed it. Well, I, I hopefully by the time you're listening to this, nothing is outdated in this. Maybe like the Jets actually traded for Aaron Rodgers. It happened. I don't know. Hopefully that doesn't happen. But anyway, thank you all for joining us on the show today. You can follow Mike on Twitter at by Mike Luciano. You can follow me on Twitter at Justin T. Freed. Follow Jet Press at the Jet Press. Of course, they're getting you know rid of the, the verified check marks and stuff. So make sure you're following the right accounts. Uh, you can download the Jet Press podcast wherever you get your podcasts, Spotify, Google Podcast, Apple, whatever, Overcast, whatever, Overflow. What is it called? Overcast? <laughs> Overflow. Overcast. Is that it? Dude, I don't know. And I don't I listen to it on the Apple app. Apple Podcast, that's what it's called. I don't know, man. Bob, this is awful. Anyway, check us out on don't YouTube. Don't people Spotify. listen on apps that don't exist. That's what. <laughs> Look, if they got to this point, they already know how to listen. All right, they're good. Um, also, <laughs> check us out on YouTube. Subscribe, hit that notification bell, like, you know what to do, all that stuff. We stream live every Wednesday at 3 p.m. Eastern time. Thank you all for listening to the Jet Press Podcast. I've been Justin Freed. That's been Mike Luciano. We'll see you guys next week. See you folks next week. <laughs>